Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching. We're real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Welcome back to another week and another podcast. And this week, I thought I would do something kind of following up on last week's podcast. Uh, and, and one of the more frequent questions I do get is about worrying how do I stop worrying? And uh, it seems to come up all the time. And I, I just need to get a little bit deeper into this whole concept of worrying. And today's podcast, I'm calling Deconditioning for People Who Worry All the Time. Now, if you don't worry all the time, you'll still get some tidbits from this podcast. So I encourage you to hang around a little bit. But if you are a chronic worrier, and if you worry just about all the time about something, sometimes small things, sometimes big things, but if you find yourself worrying all the time, this is for you today. So how does it happen? How do we become worry warts? Well, we have to go back to a fundamental, which I always harp on, and that's the concept of insecurity. Because that's where it begins, and that's where you'll glean at least a handle on what you can do to stop yourself from needlessly, neurotically worrying. So we have to understand insecurity. And insecurity is a feeling of vulnerability. Human beings, by nature, are born insecure. You know, that's the price we pay for uh, a larger brain and the nine-month gestation that it takes for us to come out into this world. We don't have claws. We don't have wings. We don't have armor around us. We just have our big brains. And that's what develops over those nine months, why it's so crucial. It is our brains that are inherently there to enhance our survival. And, and I guess our brains have done a pretty damn good job, right? It's been <laughs> Two million years of success, one way or another, I guess, which end of the uh, telescope you're looking through. But I think, by and large, the fact that we are here, and like most other animals, we have not driven ourselves to extinction. So our brains can help us, they can hurt us, but all in service of a need to survive. And that's what's important. Because even worrying, even wringing your hands and getting upset and just feeling like you're a what-ifer and killing yourself, it's ostensibly there to protect you from these vulnerabilities. Even though worrying may often be misguided, sometimes it's not, but most of the time, and we're talking today about neurotic worrying, that's that's worrying that has an insecurity basis rather than a reality basis. It is more or less infused with insecurity. So where does insecurity come from? What gets it going? 
Well, there are a few things. I mean, it could come from the insecurity of your parents. I mean, let's face it, every human being to one extent or another has some insecurity. I mean, you may have parents who are insecure, anxious, depressed, uh, sensitive, insensitive. So basically, the insecurities of our parents are experienced by the child. And take, for example, an anxious, uh, worrisome, let's say, mommy and or daddy, whichever you prefer. And the child growing up in this environment looks at insecure mommy or daddy and says, wow, this must be a very dangerous world because look at my protectors, look at my parents, how worried they are about these things. So the child develops a kind of primitive apprehension about things. And not only the, the personality of our parents, but what they face, their frustrations, their stressors, uh, whether or not they could pay the mortgage, losing a job, uh, fights with the neighbor. So these stressors of the parent uh, also affects the child. The child feels that tensiveness and the tension in the home environment. So these are shaping influences. And then there's the developmental stumbling blocks as the child grows and goes off to preschool, grammar school. They call it grammar school anymore. We used to call it grammar school. <laughs> I don't know what they call it now. Uh, grammar school, that's funny. I'm just pondering, why, why would it be? Because we learned our grammar, but what the heck do we call it now? And my, both my, my daughter and my wife are teachers. They're going to kill me if they listen to this podcast. Is it elementary school, maybe? I guess. But anyway, back to basics. Uh, so the developmental stumbling blocks, when you start socializing as a child, maybe you're a timid child, you know, maybe your personality is such that you're more sensitive. Than, and this is kind of inculcated in our genes. Some are more sensitive than others. Some are more aggressive than others. Some are more this or that. This is the nature nurture part of our personality. But there are also the, the learned aspects, the stumbling blocks. If you were bullied, for example, or teased, if you were overweight. So these are also things that can contribute not only to our insecurity, but our sense of self and confidence. And then, of course, there's the, the inadequate parenting. Parents that are defective, unloving, addicted parents. So you see, not every environment encourages security in one way or another insecurity is more or less kind of chipped away at as the child faces various challenges from both within without and from the parental environment these are early kind of blemishes on our personality and they leave the child feeling vulnerable and of course when you feel vulnerable what do you feel but you feel a bit out of control. Okay, so we just went over some historical reasons where and why insecurity emanates, where it comes from. But how important is it to know this? I mean, can you become a whole and wholesome person without, without anxieties and neurosis if you don't know how it all began? And the answer is yes. You don't need to know where it comes from. You know, it's like a cigarette smoker. Does the, the cigarette smoker that wants to quit smoking, how, how important is it to know why you took that first cigarette? 
Well, it's not. It's important to know what to do to break that habit. And that's the situation we face with our own insecurities. How do we break the habit of insecurity? And, you know, habit is a very important self-coaching word. I, I think it's very important to my whole philosophy. You know, how do we develop habits? Well, anything that's reinforced over time, anything that is repetitively reinforced becomes a habit. This is conditioning. And we talked a little bit about that in uh, last week's podcast, specifically how over time habits are not just psychological events. They're also physiological events that alter the structure of the neuronal structure of your brain. So habits are strong. They're strong things. And they're not just mental things. So in order to break a habit, not only do you have to wrestle, or as my grandmother would say, you wrestle, you know, you don't only have to wrestle with, with your, your thoughts, you also have to realize that we have to restructure the anatomy of the brain. And I'll get to that in a little bit, because it's the restructuring part that will happen in a process that I'm going to refer to as deconditioning. So when we become conditioned with a habit of insecurity, and that habit manifests itself through worrying, which is a controlling strategy, we worry because we're trying to figure out how to be safer. We want to be more in control. Worry is an anticipation of chaos. So we worry because we want to avoid that chaos, or we want to figure it out ahead of time, or we want to figure out a strategy for dealing with that chaos. And what happens, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here, that life itself, that we, we live in a world that ultimately can't be controlled. The illusion of the neurotic person is that I have to get all my ducks in a row, no quacking, all my ducks in a row. And unless I achieve that, then I have to worry because I want everything to be controlled. I want everything to be in its place. And this becomes a lifelong habit. We're just always striving for more and more control. We don't want that vulnerable feeling. It doesn't feel good. And you know what? It's just It just bums us out that no matter how much we try, no matter how much we anticipate, no matter how much we worry or try to manipulate our lives, there's always something else. There's always one more thing that happens. You get to a point where you finally think you're you're okay, and bam, life hits you with another another punch to the gut. You know, it could be anything. It could be the cracked pipe in the basement, you know, inflation and not having enough money. Or it could be an infestation of ants crawling around your kitchen. It's always something. And, you know, it's a fool's errand to think that you're going to find solace and serenity by worrying or controlling life. So from the get-go today, understand that if your mission is to be in absolute control, or better said, to be absolutely invulnerable, then, of course, that's not the answer to your problems. It is the problem. Because it is a myth to believe that life can be controlled. So if you allow this myth to become the predominant 
orienting factor in your life, then you're on a treadmill, putting out one brush fire after another, after another. But that's life. I mean, everybody has brush fires to put out. But the problem is that, yeah, we all have these brush fires to put out, if you will. But the neurotic vision is that you want to be able to anticipate any brush fire that's going to happen before it happens. So, yeah, you're on the treadmill and you've just put out all the fires and everything is rather calm now. But what about tomorrow's fire next week, week after? So there's no solace in being a neurotic. <laughs> I, I know you already know that if you suffer neurotically, uh, then, by the way, when I use the word neurotic, I know that's a, a catch-all psychological blah, blah, blah term. I guess the way I'm using it is that whenever your thoughts are infused, contaminated, distorted by insecurity, you know, these are the neurotic thoughts. So anything that's that's really been corrupted by insecurity, that's that's what I'm referring to when I use the word neurotic. So since there'll never be a life that doesn't present some challenges at some point, and you can go back to some of my previous podcasts on the wave theory, there'll always be waves, challenges that come and go. And then there's the, the trough state where we have an opportunity for solace if we're not worrying, because then we create our own waves, internal waves of chaos that aren't there. We our lives become tormented by the potential waves and challenges that might or might not come along. So how do we stop worrying? Well, let me start out by saying something that uh, uh, sounds a little crazy, I know. Stop insisting that you don't want things to go wrong. <laughs> okay. Now am I am I losing my mind? By insisting that everything has to work out or that we have to have an answer to every future problem, we put ourselves in an untenable position. We want our lives and everything connected to it to be invulnerable. And if the word insist is what, what I said earlier, right? Stop insisting that you don't want things to go wrong. So when, when we insist on not being vulnerable, and we insist that we want to be invulnerable, well, this is a format for stress, for catalytically infusing worry with jet fuel, because basically you're saying, no, 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 no. I can't take a risk that something can go wrong. I have to figure it out. I have, And a lot of it's superstitious too. But mostly, this is a primitive kind of child view of things, that you don't want things to go wrong. Now, be a little bit careful here, because it's not always that we're consciously thinking these thoughts. You kind of have to see what the motive is behind some of these thoughts. You might not be sitting there listening to this podcast saying, well, I don't insist on this, but... But if you look at it carefully, maybe you're allowing yourself to feel that you need to have everything in its place. And I call it the child view because it's almost, it's like a magical thinking. 
worrying itself it's it's kind of superstitious you know we we worry because we're you know we kind of feel like maybe the worrying is going to do something it's going to it's going to make a difference i remember when i first got my letter back from my, my application to college and and i sat there staring at that envelope now i recall just saying I want this to be yes. I want this to be yes. And and on some level, I wasn't thinking it precisely, but I was feeling like if it was a no, I wanted to change it to a yes before I opened the letter. <laughs> Fortunately, I did go to school. You may doubt it, but I did. And so it's worrying tends to be really almost an attempt at magic. We want to know it's coming around that corner. We want to be able to anticipate life. We we just don't want to be vulnerable. So worrying comes to our service when we try to not be vulnerable. But it is an indulgence. We indulge our worrisome habit. And I call it the child reflex because of the primitive aspect of this. You know, you're not being at your full maturity when you're trying to insist on controlling life before it happens. And why is why would that be immature? Well, think about it. If you're living a life of anticipation, fear, dread, well, you wind up becoming a psychological child. Why would I say that? Well, because rather than facing life head on, as it unfolds, you feel you're not up to that. You have to sidestep life and you need an edge. You can't just face life. You can't just handle life. You need the edge, the edge that the edge that worrying gives you. So what do we need? Well, we need psychological maturity. And insecurity is what perpetrates psychological immaturity. I can't handle this. It's too much. It's too hard. That hysteroid aspect of our psyche. But when you face life realistically, rather than allowing our child reflex to fret over things that we don't want to happen, when we face life head on and realize that you don't get beyond challenges, you deal with them on an ongoing basis, but you never get to a point where you're beyond life challenges. And the mature person understands this. The psychologically immature person doesn't want to understand that. They want to be driven, again, not consciously, but in a somewhat reflexive way. They want to be driven by the notion that somehow, through worrying, for example, you can sidestep that responsibility. You don't have to face life head on. You could kind of face it obliquely and protect yourself from all that's going to happen or might happen. I'm just going to take a second here to remind you that today's podcast is being brought to you by my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program, program to claim your life. I was just thinking, I don't want to have a voice like Mike Lindell selling this book, but uh, it, it's it's the program that I do endorse, and it is a self-help, self-coaching program. Take a look at it. It's on Amazon. And and I, I promise you, it's, it's <laughs> I don't know, I should call it my pillow of unlearning. <laughs> but 
But anyway, back back to our, our worrisome habits. Have you ever noticed that anxiety and particularly worrying, worry, for example, seems to have a, a mind of its own? I mean, I've heard it many, many times from people I've worked with. I just can't stop worrying. You think I want to worry? And it's almost like you've been taken over. And in a sense, you have. Because there are, and I, I don't mean this in a schizophrenic sense, there are two parts of you. There is the reflexive, insecurity-driven thinking, that habituated thinking that comes from the conditioning of insecurity through your life. And that's where worry emanates, from the voice of insecurity. Let's call it the voice of insecurity. It's not an actual voice, but the thoughts can sound like a voice in your mind, if you will. So insecurity has a voice. And if that voice is dominant, and if it overshadows your more potential mature voice, then what happens? In my book that I just mentioned, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, I, I have diagrams of two circles, one darker, one lighter. And when the two circles are side by side, there's no influence of insecurity. And that's a pristine state. That's that trough state between waves where your thinking now is not contaminated by insecurity. But as insecurity kind of overlaps your mature circle, the darker circle overlapping the lighter circle to some extent, we have some contamination. And in some cases, when that insecurity completely eclipses the lighter circle, then your life is out of your hands. Insecurities steering and driving, and you're victimized by the voice of insecurity. And that ain't a good thing. So insecurity since it's a habit and since it gets reinforced it starts to get muscle bound it starts to eclipse and dominate your more mature your potential for more mature thinking for handling life for believing that you can so the muscle bound insecurity is now taking over and the problem is that we inadvertently coddle insecurity we indulge it. We actually become victimized. We become passive. We're in the back seat. Insecurities in the front seats in the front seat, excuse me. And insecurity is steering. We reinforce it with our passivity. We sit there just going, wringing our hands. And what if this? And then what if that? And what if? And what if? do you see what you're doing? By allowing yourself to wring your hands and go over the worrisome woes that you think you're about to face. You're reinforcing that already muscle-bound habit. So it's not going anywhere. So we have, to, we have to challenge the passivity of your thinking. And we do this with active consciousness. So the first step is to just start picking up when you hear that voice of insecurity, that worrisome voice, that ruminative voice, and you need to recognize that you do have a choice. You can go on being passive, allowing insecurity to contaminate your thoughts, to corrupt your thoughts, or 
you can start to realize that you're not as powerless as you think. You see, one of the things that insecurity will absolutely convince you of is that you can't do anything about it. That worrying is worrying is worrying. <laughs> it's out of our control. Reminds me of when I stopped smoking, cigarette smoking. Now, 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 I'm an older guy here. And when I grew up, everyone smoked in the world. My football coach smoked. There were ashtrays on airplanes, in the movie theaters, all over. Everyone smoked. So it wasn't such a big deal back then because we only thought it stunted your growth. But finally, in graduate school, I decided, becoming more enlightened, that it was time to stop smoking. And I stopped cold turkey. The reason I bring this up is because what I went through, a nicotine withdrawal, it's not such a pleasant thing, I got to tell you. But my thoughts were contaminated by the habit of nicotine. This is the analogy I want you to understand. It's very important. Nicotine had a voice of its own. It wasn't my voice. It was nicotine not wanting to die. Oh, come on, you could have one cigarette. Just one. It won't hurt. And... At first, that's all I heard was the nicotine voice. And I struggled to hang on, and I did, by the skin of my teeth. I have to look up where that comes from. Teeth don't have skin. But anyway, I, I digress. So, so I was hanging in by the skin of my teeth, but those thoughts were powerful. And I was like you know David and Goliath. I, I was up against the giant here. This thing was strong. But... I had decided that I was going to accept discomfort. I was going to live with that uncomfortable, difficult withdrawal phase. So with insecurity, with worrying, if you try to stand up to the giant, the Goliath, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And this is where deconditioning comes in. You've been conditioned all your life to be worrisome. Not your fault. Circumstances. But now it is your fault. I always use a little technique that I offer people. It's called the ABC technique. We can't always stop that A thought from percolating into our mind. That's the first thought, the first worrisome thought. Oh, my God, what if? And then the second thought, the B thought. Now. Starting with the B thought and getting beyond that, we are potentially mature mind. We have a say over that. We can't stop the first thought, but we can add to what if the second thought. And what if, what if, what if the third thought and the fourth thought. And we can just keep contributing to that runaway train of insecurity-driven thinking. So we actively, out of our passive backseat, we actively contribute to our own demise. But you don't have to contribute. Deconditioning requires that you recognize the habit strength of what you're up against. And you realize that it may be very unsettling to go against that habit. It may be very difficult. But in order to break the habit of insecurity, in order to reclaim a more healthy 
happy life. Well, then you have to decondition yourself. You have to undo the habit. How do we do that? Well, got to stop feeding it. It's like any habit, whether it's me with my old nicotine habit or it's you with breaking coffee habits or whatever habit you, you know about habits. All habits are learned and all habits can be broken, even habits of insecurity. Now, some people, they may want, they may want to hang on to worry, a worry thought, for example. For example, what if something happens to my partner? And this is where insecurity traps us because we feel compelled that if we don't dwell on the what if, something will happen. What's going to happen? Well, if you feel somewhat superstitious about your worrying, well, you feel that worrying is going to make a difference. And if you stop worrying, it'll be just your luck. See, but you've got to go against that. You can't be trapped by insecurity into being childlike, to being fearful. You've got to stand tall. You've got to dig your heels in, and you've got to say no. You've got to say no to yourself. Stop it. Drop it. Now, this sounds so simplistic, but when you're caught up in a worrisome struggle about something that might happen, you're worried about the kids, you're worried about this, you're worried about that, well, you have to realize you can stop that worrying. You really can. Anything else is of the child. The fact that you find yourself worrying, well, like I said, maybe it, that percolates up from an unconscious insecurity. But once it's there, you don't have to feed it. And we feed it with our doubts, our fears, our negatives. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, it's going to be uncomfortable, as I said. So unless you're willing to experience the discomfort of just letting go of those what-ifs, the discomfort of feeling vulnerable because you feel your worrying has been serving you, because you've been duped into believing that as long as I'm worrying, at least I'm doing something about my vulnerability. Well, that's, that's another mythos right there. It's not doing anything. I know, I know there can be times where worrying can be productive. It's part of our species survival. But I'm, I'm not talking about objective criteria, a hurricane, a flood, uh, where you some worrying can be productive and 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 life saving. I'm talking about the neurotic worrying. So let's let's not get confused. And the neurotic worrying is the worrying infused with insecurity. I don't want to get that dog because what if that dog gets hit by a car? That's neurotic. So you need to be willing to fight off the thoughts of insecurity. No one can tell you exactly how to do that. I'm making a suggestion today. I can tell you how I fight off insecurity-driven worry. I grab myself. I, we, you, know, you can feel it. You, you know when you're getting stressed with a worry thought. I mean, you don't have to look too far. All of a sudden, you're in the grips of something that you're worrying about needlessly. And what I do is I first need to recognize that and then I need to realize that I can stop that thought. I don't, not that I could so much stop the thought, but I don't have to go on feeding it. 
I could stop it, drop it. And invariably, just as hell-bent as I was to stop smoking, I am just as hell-bent to not allow myself to needlessly be dragged into an insecurity-driven pronouncement that I'm out of control and, and the only way I could feel in control is to worry. No, I need to come to a place of self-trust that I can handle life as it unfolds. I don't need to be anticipating every nuance of what may happen, all those what-ifs. I need to believe that I'll handle those nuances as they occur, if they occur, when they occur. So I say no to insecurity. And you have to say no to insecurity, just as the old uh, promotion, I guess it was Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs. Say no to worry. It's just a habit, and you're just indulging it. So you have to realize how you've just been allowing yourself to be a worrier. You're not a worrier. You weren't meant to be a worrier. It's a conditioned habit, and we need to decondition the habit by not reinforcing it. It's like any other habit. And you really are in a position to not reinforce neurotic, needless worrying. So be willing to fight it off. You find yourself worrying, fight it off. And you can't fight off worry if you keep worrying. And you're probably saying, well, that's what I do. I, I, I try to stop it. I try to fight it off. I guess the problem is you're still in bed with insecurity. When you say, I can't stop worrying, you've inadvertently just reinforced your worry habit. You've just abdicated any responsibility, any sense of empowerment, and you've just made a declaration. I can't stop worrying. So you've said to you the worrisome part of your, your mind, I hand myself over to you. I am no match. I can't stop you. Baloney. You can and you must. Now, that's the grown-up self-coaching need that you need to embrace. You have to prove this to yourself. You have to prove that you're not a victim in any way of your own thinking. It's your thinking. So if you are overpowered by insecurity, well, okay, insecurity has muscle. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take time. You know, one or two swipes before you become released from a worrisome uh, runaway train of, of ruminative thinking. Well, it's going to take some effort over time, but little by little, what you're doing is you're finding out that you're not powerless. That's another myth, that you're, you're powerless to your neurosis. Isn't that ridiculous? But you got to fight it off. Now, you can go to therapy. You can read a lot of books. And you can look for that aha, magical word that's going to free you. And if that's your inclination, okay, maybe it'll help. But if you really want to do something starting today, realize that, well, you have to do something starting today. Take responsibility. Find your maturity. If you are psychologically immature and you're allowing yourself to be bullied by life, 
rather than being courageous and standing up to life, well, you get what you deserve. You suffer. If you want to be free, you have to risk being in a world where there are vulnerabilities, where you don't have absolute control. And that's where I go back to what I said earlier. You have to stop insisting that you don't want things to go wrong. And, you know, that kind of sums it up. If you insist that you don't want things to go wrong, well, you're not living in the real world, number one. And you're not going to succeed. You're just going to go on trying and trying and trying. And what that does is you go on becoming more compulsive, more upset, and it just it reinforces the habit. We're talking about deconditioning. You're not going to decondition a habit of insecurity and a lifelong habit of worry by trying to beat life, beating life at its own game. Things come, things go. And if you're hell-bent on controlling the uncontrollable, well, I guess I don't have to finish that sentence. It ain't going to happen. Deconditioning is a slow process. So unless you're standing up to those habits, unless you're willing to risk feeling vulnerable, and unless you're willing to let life unfold spontaneously rather than anticipating it, then nothing's going to change. Dig your heels in. Get solace from small victories. When you walk away from a, a, a worrisome thought, you'll feel good. You'll, you'll realize, wow, I haven't been worrying about that thought for hours. You could start to assert the power of you and your mind, and you could start to restructure the anatomy of your own brain by deconditioning. Don't be impatient. As I'm fond of saying, and I said it once today, and I'll say it again, all habits are learned, and all habits can be broken. And let's see, I guess that's about it for today. And why don't you take a look at my website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn a little bit more about my philosophy, take a look at some of the other books I've published. And until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. By definition, victims are powerless. And you, my friends, are not powerless. Remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. What do you say we make it simple together? Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on and fight. Follow your heart.